When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Tedeschi Trucks rocks Warner Theater in Washington, D.C. this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I spoke with Susan Tedeschi about how she fused her own acclaimed blues career with husband Derek Trucks to form the Grammy-winning band. Susan Tedeschi, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I spoke with your husband, Derek Trucks, back when you played the Warner in 2020, but I think it was in like February of 2020. Little did we know the world would go to hell in like a month after that. But <laughs> how, how, how have you spent the pandemic? When did you guys get back out there? All that stuff. So basically, you know, that was correct. Like we did the Warner and then we played the Ryman and then Derek played at Madison Square Garden with the Almond Brothers and we did a benefit at the beacon for love rocks and then the world shut down for us and then we we flew home i think it was like friday the 13th of march of 2020 and then we were home um for a good 18 months you know didn't work um literally couldn't because of the pandemic and everything so it was just the strangest thing so we all started writing and mike gave us sort of like a inspiration for a theme for writing and then we all like kind of went home and wrote songs and we got back together and started you know demoing them and writing them and finishing them up and then we ended up making four records of music basically (laughs) that we are actually in the process of mixing right now Um, actually our engineer is at home right now mixing the four episodes and you know it just it ended up being like really busy even though we were off just because, you know, we can't sit still and figured, well, you know, we have some off time. We have a studio in our backyard, so we're going to make a bunch of music. And actually, it came out really amazing. And, you know, we're really excited about it. It should be coming out this summer for the summer tour, uh, for the Wheels of Soul tour. Um, But yeah, that was pretty much what we're up to. And then we started getting back on the road. We did um, a smaller thing, actually, before we went on the road with what we called the Fireside Sessions. And it was six of the 12 people band the people that we were kind of closest to because we're in Florida and then the guys that lived in Georgia and then uh, Gabe who lives up in Nashville so we all kind of drove to our farm in Georgia and and set up a live streaming of you know us playing live and we did that for uh, you know a good handful of shows and then by the time we finally got out working it was just the fire session you know the six of us again because we just couldn't I don't know. It was just so crazy. We couldn't open up to capacity. So we couldn't, you know, you know, it's, it's a big band, you know, it's a big band and crew. So it costs a lot of money to actually do it, you know, and we just weren't going to be able to do that. So we tapered it all down and put band and crew on one bus and, and did that from June until August. So, or May, I think it was May, June, July, and August of 2021. 
that we started really getting out and working again. And then the whole band got together with us in August of 2021 at Lock-In, and then we started working with them again. So we're on the road now. You know, we're, we're actually in Chicago, playing the Chicago Theater. We do a residency here, too. So, yeah, it's been crazy, but really good. You know, thankful to be working. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad that you stayed busy during all that, you know, quote-unquote, time off from the road you sounds like you didn't take much actual time off sounds like you were you were busy writing your faces off the whole time so that's great <laughs> so yeah wait. we were which is good though yeah it really is so wait real quick you mentioned that you know you had a recording studio like in your backyard where is this is this in georgia or is that separate from the farm in georgia that's separate than the farm that's uh so in we live in jacksonville florida and and our studio is literally a building in our backyard like totally separate than our house so yeah we we would go in there and record and then yeah so i mean it's just nice and convenient and we got to be home with our kids before our son went off to college and you know so it was nice you know to have some real downtime when we were first writing and and hadn't really got back together yet so i'd say for like march april may june july so good five months we were just kind of at home with our kids you know which was really nice especially oh, since yeah. you're growing up so fast. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. In, in the blink of an eye. And and a lot, you look back before, I look back at my own niece and nephew before the pandemic and I'm like, oh my God, they've got so, <laughs> they grew up so much in the last two years. Um, but it's yeah, crazy. okay. I know. It's, it's crazy. Exactly. But, but uh, all right, cool. So if our, if our listeners come out to the Warner, then are they going to hear um, any of the stuff you were working on during the pandemic or are you saving that mostly for the, uh, the Wheels Souls tour in the summer? <laughs> is we, this, is yeah. This, well, you know what we're doing is we are from both of our catalogs. So I'm doing some stuff from like some of my old records, like Just Won't Burn record and things like that. And Derek's been doing some old DTB stuff. And so we've been trying to freshen it up a little bit, as well as doing all of our records for Tedeschi Trucks Band, you know, mixing it up and doing different stuff every night. So it's still really fun and fresh, but we are saving all the new stuff for the summer just because that's how you have to do it nowadays or, you know, so it's, it's going to be fun to have you know, new, fresh stuff, and it'll be exciting. So it'll be really good when it comes out. Awesome. Well, definitely everyone check out the Warner Theater first, and then you can hit maybe hit Wolf Trap and see the other stuff in the summer. Two different shows. It'll be great. Um, exactly. All right, cool. So whenever I have someone, you know, Grammy winner like yourself on, I love to hear sort of, the, you know, your 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 journey. So I know you were born in Boston back in the 70s. What stuff did you grow up listening to? What Was it a lot of blues? Was it Bonnie Ray, Janis Joplin? Or, or what, what kind of stuff, you know, got you into music in the beginning? Yeah, it was a mix of stuff. You know, my, my parents were kind of folkies. You know, my, my dad was and my mom were both really into Bob Dylan. So I was a huge Dylan fan growing up. And some of the earliest stuff I remember is blues. You know, my dad would play me Lightning Hopkins and he'd play me everything from, I mean, Sunhouse to uh, Reverend Gary Davis and, and artists like that. But he also would play me the staple singers who I love gospel music. So I always loved Mavis Staples and, and pop staples. Also, you know, grew up loving Aretha Franklin and, and of course, Bonnie Raitt. I didn't really know about Bonnie until I was in college, but when I did, I was like, Oh my gosh, I love her. You know, I loved everything about her. So she's, you know, fabulous and has been an inspiration through the years too. Uh, John Prine, Leonard Cohen, you know, I love great songwriters. You know, I just, you know, one of my favorite artists to sing is Bob Dylan, just because I love his music so much. Um, but growing up, I mean, I really got turned on to a lot of different things. I mean, country music, of course, you know. Then later on, when I 
had actually graduated college is really when I started to get into the blues. I had some friends who were running a blues jam in Boston at Johnny D's and they were like, Hey, we need some singers. Why don't you come down and learn some tunes? So I did. And, and then it was just kind of, I fell in love with all these artists that I didn't know about growing up. I didn't know about Freddie King and Big Mama Thornton. And I didn't know about, you know, Magic Sam and all these really cool artists really got into, you know, Junior Wells and Buddy Guy and Phoebe King and John Lee Hooker. And, and then I somehow lucked out in the late nineties, you know, I had done different bands, you know, I had, I grew up playing in local, you know, garage bands and stuff, you know, we would do everything from like Boston and, you know, all these types of bands, you know, heart or whatever, you know, when you're a kid, you just do whatever people can play. And you were called the smoking section, right? The smoking section. No. So actually the smoking section, um, the smoking section was a band that Ted Larkin, he was a drummer and a songwriter and he had, and he invited me when I was in college to come and join that band. And it was this guy on guitar, Rick Dillon, and then Sean McCarthy on bass and, and then Ted Larkin on drums. And so that was the smoking section. And that was when I was about 17 or 18. And so I met those guys when I was going to Berkeley in Boston and, and I started doing that band and it, that was a great band, fabulous band, great songwriting, just really cool. And then we would do stuff from like the band or we do like old Beatles stuff. And, you know, it was just cool. It was like, you know, JJ Kale and, you know, just good old fashioned American music. Um, but before that I was in a, a band that didn't even have a name. I don't, I don't even think we had a name. It was just this kid from Situate, Terry Stebbins, who had a band and he needed a singer. So I joined that band and we would go play at like, you know, private parties and, you know, yacht clubs and silly stuff. So I did that for a long time. Um, and then also growing up, I did a lot of musical theater. So I literally have been on stage since I was six years old, doing about four shows a year until I was about 17. So I, I had, I was a very busy kid. I also did sports <laughs> somehow. I don't know how. Um, I played basketball. I was a cheerleader sometimes. I, you know, and I was also in drama club. So I did a lot of different things and stayed really busy. But it really wasn't until my love of blues that I, I was like, okay, I had done like wedding band stuff right out of college, but was really sad and needed to have my own band. And I met Adrian Hayes from Gloucester and little Annie Rains and little Annie Rains from Newton. And the three of us decided to put a blues band together. And that's when I had my first solo band. And that was in 1993. And we entered like the Boston Battle of the Blues Bands and somehow came in first and then went down to Memphis and came in second for the international blues competition. And the one that, the, I guess the, the band that came in first, they weren't really a, a real band, so they couldn't tour. Because one of the, the things was like, if you won, you could play at like the King Biscuit Festival and Jacksonville at the Spring and the Blues Festival. So we ended up getting all those spots because we are a real band. So that was huge for us. That's just like open doors. And after that, you know, we made our first record. We made Better Days. You know, I'd borrowed some money and sold it off the stage and then ended up getting a record deal through Tone Cool and Rounder. Um, you know, and from there, it was just all of a sudden when we did our Tone Cool record, it was kind of a breakthrough record for me. Um, you know, they were hoping to sell like 60,000 records and I sold 600,000 records. <laughs> it was kind of like, what? Tell me about writing It Hurts So Bad. That's the one a lot of our, I mean, my wife is huge. She, she grew up singing that song. So uh, tell, tell me about yeah. um, how you came up with that one. Well, so actually I was, 
<clears throat> so when we started that band, Tom Hambridge, who was kind of a big, you know, local artist, and he, he definitely was a great songwriter as well as singer and drummer. Well, he's the one that wrote It Hurt So Bad. And, you know, I mean, he, he had the idea for it. And then, you know, I helped, you know, add my thing to it. But, I mean, really, it was, it was mostly his song. And then he also, you know, started Rock Me Right, he wrote as well. Um, so, you know, and Adrian and Annie and I helped him finish it. But, you know, those were really two of PH's songs. And he also produced that record. He also produced Just Won't Burn. So he was a, an integral part of, of making that record. And, and um, a lot of the success for that was definitely, you know, him. And that's when I got like my, my first major Grammy Award nomination for Best New Artist. So I was up in 2000 against Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, Macy Gray, Kid Rock. And here's me, like this blues artist. It doesn't make any sense, you know. Hey, but you might, have awesome. out, you might have outlasted all of them. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, honestly, I mean, I, I feel lucky. I feel like I've been continuing to get better. I haven't like plateaued, which I think is very common for a lot of artists, you know. Definitely. And you mentioned that that Grammy nod nomination for best new artists and, you know, such a star studded class. Any memories just from from Grammy night sitting there hoping they're going to call your name or or, or or getting to interact with your fellow nominees that were like massive stars at the time? And any good any good stories from that day? Yeah, well, actually, I, I had gone out to, you know, when we got nominated, they had a bunch of us meet up in Chicago and do like a press conference. So I got to meet like Kid Rock and a bunch of them. And they hadn't invited me to play at the Grammys that year, but they wanted me to play with Kid Rock. And I was just like, I didn't want to do it. I just didn't think it was a good fit. And my boyfriend at the time was Derek. And he was like, no, you, you should not play with Kid Rock. <laughs> so, so no offense <laughs> to Kid Rock, but just stylistically at the time, it was just like a little strange and it just didn't seem to fit. And I was kind of a, a worried mess like I was just nervous you know I would get nervous during that time period and so it just I didn't do it you know which it, it could have changed a lot of things but honestly I'm fine like I didn't I was never looking for fame you know like some artists are like yeah they're out for money and fame and all that you know but I'm just trying to make music and trying to work on my craft and trying to be a better musician you know all the time so so sometimes you have to make calls that are, you know, good for you, you know, and, and that's basically what I did. And then I was lucky enough to somehow be nominated five more times. And, you know, some of them were amazing, like up against, you know, a lot of my heroes, like Etta James and um, Irma Thomas and some with, you know, and then Cheryl Crow, you know, I think her and I were up for a couple things. And, you know, so it was really cool. It was like, it was great to meet all those women and, the first one, it was amazing because I got to meet Aretha Franklin and Prince. Like, they're just sitting there at the Grammys. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, what? Like, get out of town. And Herbie Hancock. And, you know, it was just over the top, like, top, the, the artists that were in the audience. And oh. so that was really cool. And Derek actually got to hang out with Wayne Shorter that day, which is, like, one of his big heroes. So, you know, it was definitely fun. You know, we and we definitely got to meet a lot of really nice people. And it was a big breakthrough time for me and then because of that nomination I ended up getting to tour actually about like a year earlier I started touring with B.B. King I started touring with uh well John Mellencamp was the first one that really took me out under his wing and I got to open for him and that was incredible I mean we did so many great things and then he introduced me at Farm Aid to Willie Nelson and Neil Young and I became friends with them through John 
So that was incredible. And to this day, I'm still very close with Willie and his family and his wife, Annie and everybody. Um, they're amazing and so down to earth and just the baddest, like so amazing. <laughs> it's awesome. So honestly, that really did change my life. And I got to, I, you know, I feel like I've lived a dream. You know, I got to open for a lot of my heroes. Um, and then, you know, I was playing with Double Trouble at one point and we opened up for the Almond Brothers and that's when I met my husband. And he was playing with the Almond Brothers in the summer of 99. And yeah, we've been together ever since. Married 20 years, been together 22 years, have two kids, 20 and 17 or 18. And um, yeah, they're just, you know, it just has kind of flown by. So wow, I feel very yeah. blessed. Get to play with all my heroes, D.P. King, John Lee Hooker, The Stones, Carlos Santana. I mean, it's kind of like a dream. It doesn't make sense at all, but. I'm very thankful for. <laughs> that's right. You that's right. You open for the the stones too. Wow. I mean, yeah, you you've done it all. Um well, you mentioned you, you mentioned several times, you know, that how you were dating Derek Trucks and then I think you guys married in like 2001, but were you, and obviously he was the nephew of Butch Trucks of the Allman Brothers drummer, so that's how all that sort of ties together, but um did you uh were, were you aware that there was this child prodigy on guitar? Like were you sort of like tracking him for years before you guys actually met and ended up falling in love and getting married? Like were you aware of him? I was aware of him um, at one point when he was really young, I had heard him on the radio playing with the Almond Brothers and he was like in his teens, but then I never really thought much about it. And then I was actually dating Sean Costello um, back in like 98 and he said, or 97, 98. And he said, you know, my favorite guitar player, we got to go see him is this guy, Derek Trucks. So we went to Smith's old bar in Atlanta and I went and saw Derek for the first time and I met him briefly, but I didn't really talk to him or anything or get to know him. But so I knew who he was and I knew he was incredible. Like I, I heard him and I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's no, I, I to this day, haven't really heard a guitar player that can touch him. You know, I don't, I just, there's nobody that plays like that or thinks like that or can be so versatile. You know, it's one thing to be a great guitar player, but it's another thing to be able to be a great rhythm player and a great band leader and a great songwriter and producer. And like, he's just got the whole thing, you know? So it's not like he's just a guitar player. Um, he's really a phenomenal musician just all around. Right. So yeah, I, I knew about him, but I didn't know him really well until that summer of 99 when we started dating. Wow. Well, I'd say that all worked out swimmingly for the two of you guys so so, I, so so at that point basically you're having to combine you know i guess he had the Derek trucks band at the time you had susan tedeschi band and i guess you had to you formed them together but it, but it wasn't tedeschi trucks yet right you did soul stew revival first right yep we did that first so basically we didn't want to have a band together without really building on our relationship first you know so we were like you said we had my solo band his solo band and the allman brothers because he was in the Allman Brothers for 15 years. So we basically had three bands and then we had kids. So we had two kids and three bands. And then he started playing with Clapton when the kids were little. So that was four bands and two children. <laughs> it was it was kind of over the top. I don't know if many people could really do it, but but somehow we did it and and because of that, you know, we you know, it just made us stronger and then we finally put a band together in 2010. So Soul Stew Revival was like 2008. And what we did is we both had like our, our solo bands tour together. And then we started doing Soul Stew Revival. 
and then that was kind of like a mix of some of the two bands but it was actually a different band like we still had like different horn players and stuff that were in the band too um, but then we decided in 2010 Derek's like hey I'm gonna start a band do you want to be in it and I was like oh my gosh okay so then I had to like really think about leaving my solo project and just going for it and so that's what we did and we just started all over and we put this band together and you know it's it's changed a tiny bit here and there you know a couple horn players you know a couple bass players or drummers and stuff but for the most part um you know we're all still here and if anything we just added on it you know we we have a few new members but it's just been amazing and it's almost like being on an olympic team of musicians because everybody's a badass so it's just like wow okay this is awesome this is really unique so so i feel very lucky to be in this band it's an olympic sure. team yeah you get you take the stage and it's no um so <laughs> i don't think you guys will be playing that at the warner but um real quick before we run tell me about um revelator i guess in 2012 after all those grammy nominations you mentioned you finally break through and win as as tedeschi trucks for best blues album with revelator but memories of just recording that one gosh that's been a decade ago now probably hard to believe i know it's so crazy so yeah that band started 12 years ago and you know it was really fun it was really cool and you know, we actually wrote with Oliver Wood from the Wood Brothers. We wrote with John Leventhal, who's Roseanne Cash's husband. We wrote um, by ourselves. You know, Mike uh, Madison, obviously, and Derek wrote stuff like Midnight in Harlem and uh, Bound for Glory. And, you know, a lot of those songs, classic songs for our band now. Um, but, you know, it was just a really beautiful time, you know, just the birth of the band and, and getting to know each other and writing. And, and we really formed, you know, huge bonds. and you know, it's been amazing to be able to continue to write with, with the band, you know, with Mike and, and with Derek and just from there, you know, it's grown like other people in the band now write too, but it was always Derek and Mike were like the main writers. And, and then just from there it's expanded. So it's been, it's been a great journey. You know, it's been amazing to, to see where this band has gone and, and like how we have just continue to keep writing and working and, and touring and getting to see all these amazing places and so it's been fun i mean we're, we're really very blessed to do what we do definitely another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Well, is there anything new we, we should plug or at least semi, semi-recent? I mean, uh, t- well, t- actually, tell us about, didn't you do a Layla, yeah. Re- Layla Revisited thing? <clears throat> yes, we did. So actually, there's two things going on right now. 
that have been kind of going on during the pandemic. And one is we had done um, a live show at Lock-In with, with Trey Anastasia from Fish, and we did the entire Layla record. And then during the lockdown, the boys were mixing it and they were like, hey, this is actually really good. And so they realized that, wow, like we should make this an album. So we did. And, and that came out this past summer and it's been awesome and it's been going really well and and honestly that was so fun like Trey is the nicest guy it it was really fun to do that project with him and Doyle came out and played on it live with us too and Doyle and Derek obviously both played with Eric so that definitely gave it that Derek and the Dominos thing that you you really kind of have to have in order to pull off a lot of those songs so that was really special and it's just nice that we captured a moment you know but it it was one of those records that kind of influenced all of us and I actually found out during the making of that, that I was born the day that record came out. So the day that Layla came out is the day I was born, November 9, 1970. <laughs> it was kind of nuts. Very serendipitous. Um, so yeah, wow, wait, so you, now were, and then- you were born on the day that came out. And also, I mean, I asked when I, when I spoke to your husband, Derek, he said that he, he, well, he doesn't know if he was directly named after Derek and the Dominoes, but he says it could have been possible that that factored in, but so that it's kind of comes full circle to both of you. Yes. For both of us. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he was definitely named after Dwayne. I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, Derek from Derek and the Dominoes and Dwayne was in that band. And so that's also kind of crazy too. So then you have Eric and Dwayne, which together is Derek, right? If you think of it that way, like Eric and Dwayne together is Derek. Right. So that's kind of crazy. Wow. And so I, I definitely think it was full circle for both of us. I think it was just meant to be. That's Absolutely. great. And then was there was there something else? You, you said there was two things you were working on that was that? <laughs> yeah. And and, yeah, so in 2015, we had done Lock-In once again. What they do at Lock-In is, Pete Shapiro is really great at getting different like acts to get together and do a show that they maybe wouldn't do. You know what I mean? Like he gets different artists together. So they had been working on getting us together with Joe Cocker, but then he got sick and he had ended up passing away. And they're like, well, what about doing a tribute to him? And we're like, well, we didn't really know him that good. Like we, I don't know. We were trying to figure out stuff and to make a long story short, they were, they got us together with Leon and Leon was the musical director on the Mad Dogs and Englishmen tour so we had done some shows with leon and and ended up putting together like a combination band of our band with the remaining members of the mad dogs and englishman tour from 1970 so everybody came out and and a lot of those guys were at you know carl radel and jim gordon were on Derek and the dominoes so they were part of that band as well so there's like a lot of incestuous stuff going on there you know like between bands um, and we were lucky enough to get to play with Leon and Rita Coolidge and Claudia Lanier and Chuck Blackwell and, you know, and Chris Dayton. So a lot of like, um, and then there's more, there's the Moore brothers, um, you know, there's, you know, so many people that came out of the woodwork that had been on that tour. And then we combined them with us and some other guests and did a live performance. And so that became a record. And actually it was also a movie. So really, they, there was this uh, young filmmaker, Jesse Lauder, that had the idea to film all of this, like the reunion of the Mad Dogs guys, and then all the rehearsals with us, and then filming the performance, and going in and, 
you know, diving into the deep history of that band and our band, which kind of came about based on that style of the Mad Dogs and Englishman band. So it was really cool. So <clears throat> that movie is actually out in certain theaters now. It's called Learning to Live Together. And it's a documentary based on, you know, the meeting of the two bands, but also like the history of Leon with that band. And then Derek kind of you know, coming in and, and, and him and Leon working together and, and making this project happen. So it was really quite a magical thing. And, and the documentary is out now and it's actually winning like different film film awards like you know going to different places like in Prague they won and you know kind of like the cons you know film festival those kind of different film festivals and it's you know people have been really uh digging it so it's been going really well too so you can sometimes find that in different cities they'll have viewings of it so that's been really fun can our listeners watch it streaming I guess I guess it's got to finish the festival run first and then maybe we'll be able to see it yeah I think they are gonna end up being able to stream it I think it's just right now it's in like kind of like cool like little hip theaters you know like that you yeah. can sometimes go and see artsy documentary kind of stuff in sure. certain theaters yeah and so they if you look it up online they do have a schedule of different cities that are playing it and it's been really cool and then some of the members have been showing up to the viewings which have been cool and they've been doing some question and answering you know answering kind of little things at the end too Derek and I did one in Jacksonville so that was really fun Cool. So we'll, yeah, we'll keep going we'll, great. We'll keep an eye out for that called Learning to Live Together. And then just so our listeners know, you you dropped the name Lock and Festival a couple times there. Um, and uh that's that's I and mean, we're a DC station, so in airing, yeah. Right out right outside in Arrington, Virginia. Well, I guess not right outside, it's more like mid middle Virginia, somewhere over there, I think. But it's not that far. Close yeah, enough. it's like an hour or something. Hour, yeah, it's not that far. And yeah. it's a great festival and always has so many great bands and it's just really cool. It's just, I don't know. It's a really, really nice festival. I really like it. Awesome. Well, we really can't wait to, to see you all again out at the Warner Theater. Um, uh, it's going to be February 3rd through 5th, and then you'll be back February 17th through 19th. And then, you know, after that, if you still want to see them one more time, I think, believe it's going to be in Wolf Trap in, in July. So yeah, lots of, at Wolf lots Trap, of, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm speaking in Virginia right here again. So, man, yeah, I yeah. Mean, you have tons of fans in this area. Thank you so much for joining us again, everyone. <laughs> uh, Susan Tedeschi and Tedeschi Trucks coming to Warner Theater. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. I previously spoke with her husband, Derek Trucks, when Tedeschi Trucks played Warner Theater back in February 2020, right before the pandemic. Thanks so much for taking the time, man. Yeah, it's good to be here. Well, I want to take it all the way back to the beginning. Um, obviously, you're the nephew of Butch Trust, of Allman Brothers Band. Uh, God, one of the greatest bands of all time. But how much uh, How much did you actually listen to them growing up? I mean, obviously, it, you know, it, it's your uncle founding the thing. But how how much are you aware of that? Like, what age does it start to, to actually, you know, percolate for you that you say, oh, wait a minute, I'm part of this legacy here? I mean, that, that music was always around. It was always in the house. Um, I mean, it's the first stuff I remember hearing. So it it was never uh, not there. Uh, you know, and my dad was a huge fan of that music. He was, uh, you know, he was up at those Fillmore shows, and um, it, it meant a lot to him. So it, it always it always felt unique and special. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know, I came into it when I first started playing music. That was that was always in the in the background for sure. Did you have a, do you have a personal favorite Almond Brothers song? Probably not a song. I mean, I, it was. 
I mean, that Fillmore East record and Eat a Peach were the ones that I always loved hearing and still do. Um, it, you know, it goes back and forth. There's there's a handful of great ones. That studio version of Blue Sky is pretty hard to beat. <laughs> were you named after uh, Clapton, Derek and the Dominoes? No, I, I think that's true. Certainly the spelling came from that. Um, but, yeah, that, that was the other record that was in heavy rotation in the house when I was born and growing up. So, yeah, that that, that factored in, too. <laughs> awesome. Now, uh, describe the story for our listeners. Try to paint a visual picture for me of, you know, where you are when you get your hands on that first guitar. I mean, it, it was uh, kind of not that interesting of a story. <laughs> I was, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, my mom would, uh, we on the way home from school, if she'd see a garage sale, we'd stop in from time to time, and I think I had uh, – five bucks in my pocket and there was a really crappy guitar and it was the only thing interesting I, I didn't really have a huge drive to play at that point it was just uh it, it, it wasn't a good garage sale and there was nothing for a, a eight-year-old other than uh, a guitar with four strings on it so that's, that's how it started i brought it home and um, my mom told me that my dad played a little bit and if i bugged him he would uh he would show me how to string it up and make it work and that's that's how it started. It, it really wasn't uh, it wasn't me wanting to play. It just kind of fell into my lap. And then, you know, when you're that age, sometimes you you take the things. Sometimes things are um, they feel easier, natural, and you just roll with it. It's that way with sports sometimes, and it was that way with uh, with guitar. And then my dad had a, a few friends that played in local bands. One of the guys played in a band with my uncle in the '80s, a band called Trucks. Uh, this guy's name was Jim Graves. Um, still lives in the area down here. Uh, great guitar player, but he was he was the first guy that came over and and taught me, uh, you know, where what the strings were, what the notes were, and um, just how to play cowboy chords. And I would start I started sitting in with him at uh, you know local clubs, and that's that's kind of how it got rolling. You mentioned that it sort of just kind of came naturally. You made the sports analogy for some people. Like I, I've always wondered that. You know, you're one of the greatest guitarists of all time at this point, but like. Uh, I've always wondered that whether, you know, it, if it's something you're born with or if you truly believe that it's something that you can hammer away at and get better. You know, like advice for other guitarists. Is it is there an element that you think that you're just naturally gifted or how much can you make up for it with just busting your ass on the guitar? You know, it's different for different people. I mean, I, I wasn't I wasn't somebody that practiced a ton. Um, but once I started playing, it was always there and I always played. So I, I logged the hours in different ways. Um, but I know people that... Um, you know, just didn't, they didn't seem to have it in the beginning and they just, they worked until they did. Um, I, I think, I think you can come at it, um, in any way. I, I think really it's about, um, staying with it in the, in the drive. I, I don't, you know, some people might get there a little quicker, but as, as long as you get there, I don't think it matters. Right. Exactly. Um, so, all right. So, so you're, you know, you're, you're at this young age, you're, you're practicing here just to keep moving chronologically. <laughs> uh, some people are starting to call you a little bit of a child prodigy, but you know, to your point, you're just loving the music. Um, I think you get your first paid gig at 11. Is it true you started using the slide because your hands were a little small on the guitar? Is that how you got around it? I mean, when, when the guitar player that brought over a slide for the first time, showed it to me you know it, it that definitely was a part of it i mean i was i think i was nine or ten when i first started playing slide and uh yeah just it made more sense and then all those sounds i, I were hearing on the almond brothers records all that Dwayne almond uh slide stuff it, it all of a sudden made sense to me so that that was it too it was a combination um, but it was definitely easier for me to play slide at that point than than straight guitar and the guitar i had um 
it was hard to fret that thing. It wasn't very, it wasn't very nice. So. <laughs> what was it like? I mean, to be like a you know early teenager, I think like thirteen, to play across a guy like a legend like Buddy Guy. Uh, Buddy was amazing. I mean, he he still does this. He takes young musicians under his wing, and he you know he shows you the ropes, and he he's incredible. I mean, I I learned a lot from being on stage with him. He he would bring a band down to a whisper, and um, the way he would deal with it. The dynamics of, of the music was incredible and um you know and he, he taught you the, the history of it while you were doing it while you were playing with him so uh yeah th- that's uh th- those are lessons that you you're really fortunate to get and there's really no no other way to get it other than being on stage with with people that have been there yeah and then the lessons continue because like in your early 20s you'd already played with like bob dylan or joe walsh i mean you you're playing with the greatest musicians of all time and in your sort of your early you know adolescent formative years but memories or anything you, you picked up from touring with those guys yeah i mean anytime you're on on stage with somebody like that i mean a lot of these people they wrote the book in you know different styles um you know bb was that way certainly getting on stage with the almond brothers and uh Dylan, all, all of them. I mean, th- those are those are moments while they're happening. You're you're fully soaking it in, and you realize that uh, you, you better pay attention. There's uh, there's lessons here, and there, you know some of those moments you realize these are these are stories I'm going to be telling my kids and their their kids. <laughs> so when you're on stage yeah. with BB, you realize that wow, this is uh, this is a thing that's happening. <laughs> it's better you better remember this. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you feel really fortunate when when that stuff is going on, and uh, yeah, there's certainly a lot to learn. You learn more in those moments than you do talking to people about it. That's for sure. I mean, people often ask uh, anybody ever give you advice, and I mean, there's definitely I've I've gotten some good advice along the way, but it's that it's that real time on stage. It's something your senses are wide open when you're in those positions, and that's when you that's when you learn the stuff. Um, when people tell you not to uh, not to mess around with with heroin and other things, and they show you their track marks, that's a pretty good lesson too. But the the musical ones are the ones that stick. Well, I guess that one stuck too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on stage and off stage lessons equally yeah. important, my friend. <laughs> that's right. Pay attention. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, and then uh, you know those final few years. Right, this we're talking like right before you know you meet Susan Tedeschi, but. You know, you're you're doing the Derek Trucks band thing, I think, in the early 90s. You formed them. and But then also you're still touring with Allman Brothers, officially joined them, I think, you know, 99-ish. Um, how cool was it for you to have your own band going on with the Trucks, but at the same time you're honoring the family legacy with Allman Brothers, and, you know, how cool to, to join them. You know, you know, you grew up listening to them, so you're finally playing with them. But how important was it to have your own project going alongside with that? Well, I mean, when I got the, the call to join the Almond Brothers, I was it was something I never thought would happen. And I was deep into the music with uh, with Jan Rico and Todd and Kofi and and Mike. And it, it wasn't um, it wasn't even an option to not continue it. I don't know if Mike was in the band at that point. I think it was pre, um, but it, it was just uh, that's what we were doing. And and I had to find a way to do both. And yeah, I mean, it was incredible to go back and forth and uh, playing small clubs with our guys and just feeling like uh, you had to make the show work so you could get gas money to get to the next gig and then hop on tour with the Almond Brothers, which was just a, a total a different level of traveling. But the music felt, I mean, it felt similar. I mean, it, a good night's a good night, a bad night's a bad night. It doesn't matter how you're getting there and what you're traveling in. It, the the feeling is pretty similar. So that was a good lesson. Um but yeah, I mean, it, I, it was never in my mind that I that I could stop doing what we were doing with our group. I felt like that was that was 
vitally important, and that was going to be that was going to be my future and our future. And um, you know that the the Almond Brothers, it was great to be able to be a part of it and honor their legacy. But that was that was always their baby and not not mine. For sure. All right, we finally reached to it now. That the life changing moment. When did you meet Susan Tedeschi? What what was that initial encounter? Well, I'd met her once before at uh, one of my band shows at uh, what was it Smith's Old Bar in Atlanta. I met her briefly, and then she was on tour opening for the Almond Brothers that first year I was in the band. So that's when we really connected, um, you know, out on the road for months at a time, and um, you know, seeing her do her thing. And um, you don't meet many people that uh, have that going on, and you know, not not many women know who Howlin' Wolf is and Wayne Shorter, so that helps. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I know you were doing Soul Stew Revival at first. Why'd you make the switch to call it today to get your guys to, uh, you know, names and family legacies in there? When we did Soul Stew, I, we were just kind of dipping our toes in to see how it would feel to, you know, be on the road and put a band together. And we still had our own groups at the time. And when we decided to really do it, I, I didn't want to keep both of our solo bands going as as a backup plan. I, I knew it had to be all or nothing. So, um you know, we decided once we once we did it, it had to be a, a a new thing, and it had to we had to start from scratch. And you know, we didn't in those early years we didn't really carry over a lot of the music we did with Soul Sue into into this band. We tried to start it fresh, so it, it was really more about just making a, a clean break and uh, starting something without a safety net, really. Well, you hit the freaking ground running, man. I think your first album together, Revelator, uh, won the Grammy for best blues album. Um, were you surprised at all that you know you got that much acclaim right away with that first album, or did it feel that good as you were putting it together? I, I think we felt pretty good about it. Um, you know, I mean, you never expect those things, but uh, I, I felt I felt like we were we were hitting it, and I felt like the band was uh, it was the right thing, and everybody's head was fully in it, and it was a special time. I mean, we were just getting our studio together. We were just working with Jim Scott for the first time. I mean, we were we were all learning and growing quite a bit, and. Uh, and, and the band was fully focused on on the task, and there were great songs on that record. And um, I mean, a lot of those tunes we play um, almost every night still. So um, you know, it, it it's music that lasts. And yeah, I mean, sometimes when you're recording a track, it, you you have that feeling that this one's going to be around a minute. And there was a lot of that on that record. Awesome. Well, so I know that one will probably always hold a special place in your heart, <laughs> the you know your first one that Tedeschi Trucks released. But how do you think you evolved over the next three more albums? You know, how would you even describe your own sort of you know evolution over those albums? I mean, the band has has gotten better every every year somehow. I mean, there's been there's been an ebb and flow, and there's some tours that are better than others, and there's definitely been times where I felt like we had to search for it again. But uh, somehow it just keeps keeps rolling. Um, I mean, I, I just think everybody is the musicians in this band are just always trying to find the thing and trying to make it better. And I mean, there's been a lot of, a lot of life has happened to us between then and now, and that stuff makes you play different and play better um, as long as your head's in it. Um, but yeah, I, somehow the band just keeps getting better. I mean, these last few tours we've done, um, I mean, last year was a, a, a difficult year, but the, the band stayed solid and the band kind of circled the wagons and somehow got tighter and, and stronger as a group. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, you're, you're onto something and it's a healthy thing when that keeps happening. Cause it, it, that's not always the case. I've certainly been a part of things where, um, there were times where you, you knew it wasn't getting better musically and you knew you were kind of taking steps backwards and you don't know how to fix it. Um, but with this group, we've really never had that problem. It always seems to, 
be sometimes inching in the right direction and sometimes it's it's flying ahead in the right direction but it always seems to be uh it seems to be a, a purpose for some reason I love it. But remember, one of the big things I think I remember from that festival was Clapton. I mean, do you think that exposed your music to, you know, an even wider audience? Like, that that thing was awesome. Yeah, I mean, that was great timing for this band. Um, the Almond Brothers were originally supposed to do, I think, that second Crossroads that we did. And then Greg uh, got sick, and I think a liver was available. And so we filled in last minute. I mean, maybe 12 hours before we were flying up, we were trying to find the band. And not all the musicians were available. Uh, JJ was off on tour in Canada somewhere and had a gig that night. So we, we ended up having some guys filling in for that one show. It was really thrown together early on in the band's uh, life. and uh, But it, it happened, and it came together. And the, the few songs we played were great, and it really really did propel this thing forward. So... You know, sometimes you just got to be uh, you got to be ready when the balls hit to you. <laughs> it's gotta, you never know. <laughs> exactly. And how cool was it, man? To, I mean, we're at DC station, so I got to ask, how cool was the White House? Uh, I guess that was in 2012. Yeah, I mean, that, it's it's wow. It seems like a lifetime ago. Um, there was actual real music in that place for a while. <laughs> it was pretty incredible. <laughs> I was on stage with uh, Buddy Guy and BB King, and there was. Uh, you know, the president and first lady and people in the room that actually understood what that meant and cared about it. And it was, uh, I mean, they were honoring B.B. King in the East Room of the White House. And, you know, there were a lot of powerful people in the room, but you knew who, uh, you knew who the man of the hour was. <laughs> it was, uh, it was a guy from Mississippi. It was, it was a, it was an incredible day. Um, and, you know, just the the way that place felt, it was, uh, maybe someday we'll get back to that. It'll it'd be nice to have music in there again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you just saying, man. I, th- I really think it helps. I, I really, do. I mean, music always, yeah, music is the medicine, man. Oh, you mentioned BB King. I think when you played with him out at the Hollywood Bowl, I think I read something where he he paid you the ultimate compliment after you got off stage. He was like, "That's the best. That's as good as I've ever heard the guitar played." I mean. Is it strange for you when you see, you know, when you hear someone say something like that, or when you start projecting yourself with the all-time greats, or Rolling Stone ranks you amongst all these that you've admired for so long? Like, it's rare air, man. That could, can you even see yourself in an all-time, you know, view like that? I mean, that's got to be a little humbling. I mean, you you don't you don't think about it often. I mean, the the Rolling Stone thing, you don't really know what to make of that. Um, when now when BB pays you a compliment um that that feels different i mean that that feels like uh i mean it's your hero and it, it feels like real validation and um it, if anything it just makes you feel like all right we're on the right track that you can you can do what you're doing confidently and and not overthink it all the time so but yeah, those things actually give you it does give you a little bit of uh a, a little bit of juice going forward and you know you you think about those or you feel that you feel it differently um you also look over your shoulder to see if he's talking to somebody else. <laughs> it, it doesn't fully register. Did he mean me? <laughs> yeah, but I mean he's he's just one of the sweetest humans of all time, you know. And uh, you know he he's like like Buddy Guy and like some of the people we've been lucky to play with. They they want that music carried on, and they want they want people that that believe it and feel it and and mean it to keep doing it. So uh, you know that that's when they say those things or do those things, they have a purpose. Um, I mean, BB was always that way with Susan too. He would always have her on stage, and when she would sing, he would just light up. And those are, you know, that it gives you confidence to keep doing what you're doing, and and uh, you don't really care what other people think if uh, if if BB likes it <laughs> or if Little Milton likes it or John Lee Hooker. You're like, those are those are my people. 
<laughs> that's, a, that's, that's, that's the only that. ranking I care about. <laughs> so. All right, cool. Well, you've been more than generous with your time. Thanks so much. Just sort of closing final question, you know, what can we expect to hear? You know, the, the, the beauty of this group is that everyone's always trying to, to dig deep into the catalog and find tunes we haven't played in a while or even songs of ours that we, you know, have, haven't broken out yet or, um, so it's, it's always different. I mean, we keep track of the set list that we played last year and, um, the last time we're in a room and you, you really try to make sure you don't repeat yourself too much. Um, you never want to sacrifice the show getting there. So you, you don't, you don't just go obscure just to do it, but there's, there's enough good music in everyone's catalogs at this point where we can, dig pretty deep and, and change it up and it it keeps it it keeps it fresh for everybody on stage it keeps us on our toes and uh you know we've been we've been breaking out of you know a little acoustic set of, of every once in a while every few nights especially when we're in a venue for more than one night that's that's been a lot of fun something nice about hearing the voices um, when everything else is stripped down around it and uh but yeah just different sides of the band but there's, there's a lot to a lot to dig into awesome everybody in Tedeschi truck band hey thanks so much you were great thank you man we'll see you soon thanks so much for joining us on beyond the fame with jason fraley remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear we'll see you next time I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.